0: Location, You are about to join the leader of the unofficial resistance, the rebel himself, Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast.
1: And welcome to the Brian Lilly Podcast. It's been a little while. We've had some changes here, including moving into a new office. I am broadcasting from, it is correct, an undisclosed location broadcasting from a, a bunker deep below it. A building made of concrete, glass, maybe a little bit of steel. The big story in Ottawa this week is, of course, the budget. There's other topics to discuss, including the new ISIS video and what that really means. But the budget is the big topic. And I'll be in the lockup on Tuesday, listening to all of the experts, going through the numbers myself. One of the people I'm sure I will be talking to is my old friend Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. A well-known voice and face to byline viewers. Of course, right now, you only get the voice. Ian, welcome to the podcast.
0: Uh, Good evening, Brian, and uh, pleasure to speak with you again. All
1: right. So what are you expecting tomorrow? Have they telegraphed essentially everything? I mean, the big centerpiece is this family tax package that they've already put out there?
0: I think they've telegraphed most of what's going to be in the budget. And I think there's a couple of uh, sleepers or surprises, and I'll talk about them in a moment. But if I can just deal just firstly with the, the bigger uh, thing, the bigger picture, um, uh, because there's been a lot of people already micro-nibbling it to death, you know, on nitpicking on this little thing and that little thing. And I, I really do think that those critics fail to see the, the much bigger picture here. And that bigger picture is this. This is going to be a very interesting and unique budget. It is not only going to be the budget for 2015, of course. I believe it's also going to be effectively the Conservatives' blue book, if I can call it that, in contrast to the Liberals' famous red book of Mm -hmm. several years ago, that is going to set out their entire campaign for fall election 2015. But, but, it, but that's um,
1: not, that's not a us, unusual. And I've seen a bunch of media stories sure. talking about it as if this is some heinous thing the conservatives are doing. I mean, how, heaven forbid, how can they do this? Uh, they're going to run on a budget. I've been covering politics a long time. If you've got a budget that comes out just before an election, guess what? You run on the budget. Some of course, governments absolutely. have released a budget and then called an election.
0: In fact, yes, I agree with everything you said. And to go one step further, I think what they're going to do, and this is why it's going to be intriguing for me. I, you know, I teach strategy at the at the Sprott School. I think it's going to look backward and say, "This is where we were and what we did. This is where we are now and what we've done very recently. And this is where we want to go." So it's not only going to be the blue book for the 2015 election, it's going to be the vision document, the strategic document, whatever word you want to call it, for the next four years, for the next mandate. So they're going to, I predict, wrap it up into a sort of past, present, and future. This is what we did for the past four, five, six, seven, eight years. This is what we're doing now. This is what still remains to be done and where we want to go. So I think it's going to be a it's going to be a very coherent document, and it's going to be targeting uh, the three communities if I can use that as a very fashionable word mm-hmm. um, that they are uh, targeting. I've been watching a lot of pundits, and they say they seem to be saying that they're going after everybody, which isn't very profound. I, I actually think they're going to the, the communities are very clear: uh, seniors, the seniors community; um, younger uh, families with young children community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And thirdly, the business community. And I mean by the business community, I'm talking managers, vice presidents, that sort of thing, where there are quite a few blue, what are called blue liberals. And they need to get to 40%. um, In a three-way split, uh, you need 40% to have a majority in this country. And we've known that since the mid-1950s, when there was a three-party race, and only two governments have ever since then, achieved 50%. One was Diefenbaker, 58, 1958, mm-hmm. the other was Mulroney, 1984. Yeah, the, the two biggest Trudeau, majorities
1: in Canadian history.
0: Yes, yes. For, for and, and, their and so time and for the size makes, of the it, commons. Right. But, but but the point I'm making, Brian, is that people, some people say to me, don't you understand, 60% of the people are opposed to, to Harper. My goodness me, Jean Chrétien got his second very large majority with 37%. Yeah. And, and so my point is simply not to try to get into that debate, but to point out he doesn't need 100% of the votes. He doesn't need 60% of the votes. He needs 40. And right now he's at 32 or 33, somewhere around there. And to get to 40, which is what he was in the last election, 39.8%, if you really want to nitpick, um, he needs some blue liberals. And uh, the blue liberals are business liberals. These are people like John Manley, people like um, uh, Premier, former Premier McKenna, uh, Frank McKenna of New Brunswick. And and I think that um he, he the, the, these uh, the things like the accelerated capital cost allowance are going to uh contribute to attracting their support. And the one other and now I'll just be very quick, the sleeper policy that nobody seems to be talking about, the sleeper announcement. I'm convinced that they are going to lay out what they want to do to finish the reforms of the public service and most specifically the sick leave. And I've been reading what the unions are saying and hearing what the unions are saying, and they've said if they do that, if the government does that, they're going to have a national strike. And so we could be literally in May or June with a national government public service strike on our hands only three months before the election over this whole idea of sick leave and reforming well, it to produce, uh, to a more modern system.
1: And, and you know what? I don't want to spend too much time on that because I want to ask you about Justin Trudeau's economic plan. But yeah. I yeah. don't think that that would... I don't think that would go well for the unions or the opposition because the opposition would back the unions over sick leave. And when Canadians find out how much banked sick leave there is in the system, they would be appalled. They would be appalled and say, either as uh, provincial or or municipal civil servants or those in the private sector, I don't get that and I shouldn't have to pay for that. And I think the public would revolt and side with the conservatives.
0: I think that that's my judgment, too. I think it would be a very bad mistake on the union's part. I think in the court of public opinion they would lose, and uh, and uh, uh, so that. Uh, but I, I think that that's going to be the sleeper issue or the surprise issue that nobody's talking about is the sick leave and the consequences that are going to come from that uh, from that uh, announcement in the budget.
1: All right, Ian, I want to ask you about uh, I'm talking with Ian Lee from the Sprout School of Business at Carleton University here on the Brian Lilly Podcast, and I want to ask you, Ian, about. Justin Trudeau's economic plan, he finally released something. I mean, we were all just trying to read tea leaves on what his economic plan would be. He didn't like income splitting. He liked legalizing potty, liked legalizing prostitution. So maybe he'd tax both of those and and get rid of a tax cut. Turns out he will get rid of a tax cut and increase taxes. But here are th- the three points he put out. He said he'll cancel what he calls Mr. Harper's unfair income splitting scheme for the wealthy right. and invest in strengthening Canada's middle class. He says he will ensure smart, sustainable investment in Canada's infrastructure to create jobs, increase productivity, attract investment, and improve our quality of life. I like apple pie, too. Doesn't everyone? And then third, he said, (laughs) work closely with the provinces to enhance the Canada pension plan, ensure retirement security for all Canadians. To me, those are three ways of saying less money in your pocket, more money in the government's, because if he cancels income splitting, that reverses a tax cut. And the other two, infrastructure means You're going to spend more, and I don't know who these people are that think you can improve the Canada Pension Plan payouts without increasing the premiums that we all have to pay.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that they're going to be vulnerable in that because – uh, I'm sure that the Conservatives are going to uh, run on and say, look, at what he's really campaigning on is a very significant tax increase, which is going to fall on the pockets of ordinary Canadians, and they're promising, the Liberals are promising to make life better for ordinary middle-class Canadians, and the Conservatives are going to accurately point out, look, they're going to take more money out of every one of your pockets, so how can they be making life better for you? They're going to be making life worse. So I think that, 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 that uh, the Liberal campaign is going to get uh, picked apart uh, on its c- contradictions very quickly.
1: All right, Ian, I know you got to go in a moment to uh, to join another radio show. I want to ask you about yeah. this though because I hear reporters repeating what the the NDP says of, of their big economic plan, which is government daycare. They claim that it increases the labor force participation rate. Now, this is a, a geeky statistical term that most people don't use, but it, it's essentially the percentage of the working population right. that is actually in the workforce That's right. and I, I look at the numbers and I believe the numbers are Saskatchewan and Alberta about 69 to 73 percent Quebec right. which has a government universal daycare program 64.9 yeah. there's no data to back up this claim but it keeps being made why yes.
0: um, I, it, it's a, it's a, a, a popular position of uh, progressives. Uh, They want more social programs. They want more universal daycare. I think they just
1: want more people paying taxes. It doesn't have to do with anything other than want more taxes.
0: And the labor participation rate, I think, uh, and we can't prove it conclusively, but I think the data is very compelling that when you have uh, strong economic growth, as we've seen in the last... 10, 15 years in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, you're going to have a a higher participation rate in the uh, labor force. So I think that the solution is not to advocate more universal social programs, but the solution is really to go and uh, encourage uh, more, um, stimulate, not stimulate, but encourage greater economic growth through uh, sound structural policies.
1: All right, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thanks very much. Ian Lee with the Sprout School of Business. I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. More. In moments.
0: Join the resistance. Follow Brian on Facebook, slash Brian Lilly. He's hated in official Ottawa, but loved by you. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. I got a bill a year and a half ago for $19,000 worth of back power. They all of a sudden tried to tell my brother and I that we owed them $19,000 for electricity we had used, but they had just forgot to charge us.
1: The sounds to some of the protesters on Saturday afternoon on Carling Avenue in Ottawa outside of the offices of Bob Shirelli. He is Ontario's energy minister. And there's been an ongoing controversy about the price of hydroelectricity. While we still call it hydro because we used to get our electricity from hydro, now the government wants to mostly get it from wind and solar, which is unreliable and hugely expensive. So we've been seeing prices go through the roof thanks to Ontario's Green Energy Plan, and we've been seeing prices go through the roof for a raft of charges that nobody quite seems to understand. You've got your electricity charge, and then you've got your delivery charge, and your debt retirement charge, and lots of other charges. It's a big weekend for protests in Ottawa. I would say at the the electricity, let's call it that, I'm going to try and stop calling it hydro, because it is a, a minority share of how we get our power supply in the province of Ontario now, despite that giant thing we call Niagara Falls, so I'll try and remember to call it power or electricity. So about 100 people, maybe a little more, out protesting outside of Energy Minister Bob Shirelli's office. And then uh, that was on Saturday. Beautiful, bright, sunshiny day. It had threatened rain. The rain didn't come. So people took off their ponchos and screamed and showed their power bills and showed why they are afraid to turn on the lights. And I'll get you some horror stories in a minute. But then... On Sunday, an even bigger protest, several hundred, well, not a protest, but several hundred parents coming out to find out what they need to know about the radical sex ed curriculum that's going to be coming out in Ontario. Kathleen Wynne, I mean, not only is she under investigation over the gas plant, not only is she scheduled to talk to the Ontario political police about her... Uh, lackeys going out to offer what I think amount to bribes to stop a candidate from running. Not only are there all kinds of other scandals, she's facing actual protests. I just wish these had come before the election in June 2014, and then we might not have Kathleen Wynne as our premier. But as it is, we still have her as our premier. And I remember back when the PCs were in in Ontario, And there was this guy named John Baird. You may know him now as our former foreign affairs minister. The guy's, you know, bringing in all kinds of cha-ching contracts, raking in the dough now that he's left federal politics. Well, he was in provincial politics for about 10 years. And in the early 2000s, he was handled the ungrateful task of handling the very controversial uh, energy file back then. Because the conservatives had tried to privatize the market. And prices were fluctuating a bit. But I'll tell you, I would give my I would give a lot of money to have those prices back because I'd still be saving money. We have seen the prices skyrocket in Ontario. And when John Baird was energy minister, Bob Shirelli, politics being a small world, was mayor of Ottawa and was denouncing John Baird and the Progressive Conservatives for leaving seniors in the dark, leaving those who couldn't afford it with huge bills. Well, I want, to, I want you to listen to the story of Carolyn Cox. She moved from suburban Ottawa, the Canada area, to just outside Ottawa city limits, a little town, beautiful town in eastern Ontario called Almont. And listen to what happened to her bills.
0: I had high bills. We had $200, $300 bills, and, y- you know, you said, okay, I need to conserve. I moved out to Almont, and by the time the winter came along, and I do have electric heat, so I know I need to change that, but I, uh, one example of a bill here is electricity usage for $584 in January, but the other charges, $632. So my bill in the month of January was 1161 and that wasn't the top bill.
1: Can you imagine going from two to $300 in a bill to $1,000 or more? Because she said $1,000 is not the worst of it. I talked to another woman, uh, Beth Trudeau. She lives on the other side, east of Ottawa, in the rural parts. She does not use a clothes dryer. She dries her clothes on racks in front of her uh, wood stove. She does not use electricity for heat. She does all the conservation things you're supposed to do and still can't gut her bill below $200 a month in a home with three adults just three people, $200 a month, just for your electricity. That is insanity. That's insanity. And even worse, what's happening is that it is people in the rural areas that are seeing these hikes through Hydro One. I'm not sure what the difference is. Maybe it has to do with these delivery charges that are tacked onto your bill because you know, you've know you got your, your electricity charge, your delivery charge, your other charges. So I'm not sure what's driving it, but it is a, a distinct difference between an urban or suburban area and a rural area. And I, it seems like the government in Queen's Park doesn't care. But that's par for the course for them, because that's their attitude with the other issue that was being protested this weekend. And these issues have nothing to do with each other, but I just want to show that on a beautiful spring weekend... People were willing to give up their time to protest government policy, and not all of them are political activists. One of the things that we have been hearing about the protest against the sex ed, oh, it's all, it's all just radical Christians, or oh, yeah, it's all just the Muslims. You saw them at the, you know, the Valley Park Middle School, and trash just the Muslims, and you know, they'll vote liberal anyway, so it doesn't matter. Eva Nyman is a mother of three in suburban Barhaven. She comes from a, a, a nice middle-class area, well-to-do area. She's apolitical. She is non-religious. She told me specifically, she said, I have no religion. And she is still worried about what's being taught in Ontario's revised sex ed curriculum. Um, But yeah, you said about homophobic being thrown around a lot. If you don't agree with the curriculum, I want to say a lot about, not a lot, a little about that at least, because no one in our home is homophobic. And my husband, a very religious man, our children are going to be taught to be inclusive, be respectful. Don't, Don't judge. Just people are who they are and Mm-hmm. I have an understanding, but be respectful. Yeah. The, um, you said the oldest is grade three? Yes. How old are the others, or what grades are they? In? Uh, going into grade one, and uh, the other going into junior. Even Nyman, just one of several hundred parents, grandparents, concerned citizens of all political stripes, all races, all creeds coming out. And there's another one of these info sessions coming up just for the Barhaven Mosque in a week or two. These things are happening across the province. Parents are organizing and rising up. Are they going to be listened to? I don't know. I can tell you that pressure can mount. I was listening to U.S. talk radio this morning, and I heard that that Jeb Bush, who will be running for the Republican nomination, a big backer of what's called Common Core Educational Reform down there, he had backed it from the beginning. He's reversed his stance because enough parents, enough grassroots people have come out and said, this is a bad thing. So he's gone from being an early proponent, an early, ugh, I don't even know what to call it, not an adopter. He he, and his companies were making money off of this educational reform. He's come out against it because he's seen where the political winds are blowing. If you are opposed to this, if you are opposed to your kids in grade three learning about gender identity, which is a confusing topic for adults, never mind kids in grade three. If you are against them learning material that is just, let's face it, it is too young. It's not about whether the material should be taught or shouldn't be taught. That is a debate that civilized adults can have. It is a debate, the problem is, that this is material that's being shoved further and further down. You don't even have to get into the argument about Ben Levin. You don't have to get into answering the false calls of Kathleen Wynn that you are homophobic or obviously a Harper Federal Conservative operative if you oppose this. This is a question of, is the material age-appropriate? And every parent that I've talked to that's looked at the, what is actually written down says, mm, I'm not comfortable with that at that age. Some would not be comfortable with it at any age. Some are not comfortable with it at the age it is in the curriculum parents are organizing and it's going to be fascinating to see what Kathleen Wynne and the liberals do. I fear that they're just going to ram it through regardless because they are married to this ideology, they are married to this agenda, and she has been campaigning on it since Dalton McGuinty pulled it back in 2010. I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. More coming up in moments. More from the Brian Lilly Podcast in moments.
0: Follow Brian on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly Join the Rebellion. Find more Brian Lilly at www.therebel.media.
1: Sounds from the new ISIS video released on the weekend Showing the execution of Ethiopian Coptic Christians I don't recommend that you watch the video I was watching the video to see what was in it beyond the man with the North American accent explaining that we will all accept Islam or die. There's a lot in the video. There's a lot to to watch to learn what they're about. The gory parts are only at the end. And as I was looking for something else I mistakenly fast forwarded and hit the gory parts. And what these animals do to their captives is stomach churning. That I didn't vomit when I saw it. I don't, I don't know how. But it is disturbing. But that's their point, isn't it? They want to disturb us. They want us to be afraid. They want us to fear them. And if you pay attention to what goes on in the 27 minutes preceding that point, because this is a 29-minute video, what they really want is for all of us to convert to their religion, their view of Islam, and their view of the world. I can't speak Arabic, but there's a lot of subtitles in this. There's a lot of graphics in this video. And what they do is they talk about, maybe you, you've seen in some of the news stories about how most of the news stories just talk about the execution. That's obviously an important part of this. And kudos to the White House, kudos to Western governments everywhere for coming out and quickly condemning this, even though they, they put in the caveat that they cannot authenticate it. And I understand why they do that. You know, You don't want to condemn a hoax, and maybe it could be a hoax, but I don't think it is. It is far too graphic, far too revolting, far too evil to be a hoax. So kudos to all Western leaders that have come out and condemned it so far. But that's mostly what you've heard. Maybe the condemnation, maybe the execution, and then occasionally in a story you will hear that they talk about the relations between Christians and Muslims. And that's true. But they, they do more than that, because they spend a long time in this video explaining different branches of Christianity, explaining what Christians believe, that they believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They say that this is a, uh, essentially a bastardization of monotheism, and therefore Christians are, are unbelievers. They talk about the Catholic Church, a little bit about how it's structured. They talk about the schism with the Orthodox. Same there, what they are about. They talk about the Protestants. They talk about the Crusades. But then they talk about how Christians are not true monotheists, and therefore, they will either pay the Jesus, they will convert, or they will die. This is what is in the video over and over again. I want to read you one of the quotes from it. This appears about nine minutes in. It says, so our prophet, the Lord's messenger, commanded us to fight you until you worship Allah alone or pay the jizya. And our prophet informed us of our Lord's message that whoever of us who is killed will go to paradise and live in bliss, the likes of which he has never seen. And whoever of us remains will own your necks. That's the nice part because there's worse than that as they try and put forward the idea that they're the true believers. They're the ones that will decide who lives, who dies, who has the right orthodoxy, who has the right orthopraxy, who is the true believer. We keep being told that this is not about Islam, that ISIS is neither Islamic nor a state. I will dispute both of those. Despite our best efforts, and we have made some good gains, Canada, the United States, our allies have made gains against ISIS. We have, in the words of the politician, degraded them. But we have not fully defeated them. And so they still control large parts of territory in Iraq and Syria. And they run a de facto state. Whether the world recognizes it, whether the civilized countries of the world recognize it or not, they do run a de facto state. As for whether or not they are Islamic, they cite the Quran, they cite the, uh, the holy books of Islam again and again in order to put forward their message. And when someone is willing to cut your throat to say and say they are doing it in the name of Islam, I say that we believe them. Because that is their motivation. That is their motivation. Their motivation is Allah and Muhammad and their view of Islam. We would not be doing this if it was a Christian repeatedly citing Bible verse after Bible verse and killing people. The media does not time and again say that The late Fred Phelps and his Westboro Baptist Church are not real Christians. They just keep calling them Baptists. Well, ISIS are people that believe in their version of Islam. And one of the chilling parts is that the man leading those who are lined up to execute the Ethiopian Christians speaks in a clear North American accent and is a confident, cocky bastard when you listen to his voice. To the nation of the cross, we are back again on the sands where the companions of the Prophet peace upon him, have sat down before, telling you, Muslim blood that was shed under the hands of your religion is not cheap. In fact, their blood is the purest blood because there is a nation behind them inherits revenge. And we swear to Allah, the one who disgraced you by our hands, you will not have safety, even in your dreams, until you embrace Islam. As Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stated, I was commanded to fight people until they testify that there is no true God except Allah. And Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So those words play out, and then the men are executed. Like I said, I'm sorry that I saw the video and I don't recommend that you do. But I do recommend that you know what's in it. And that this is a video designed for propaganda and conversion. Either conversion from non-believer, such as a Christian or a Jew, into a radical Muslim. Or from a non-radical Muslim into a radical Muslim. That is their goal. Because if they have enough of those... They can take over the world. And that is their goal. The caliphate is their goal. And when some of us started talking about caliphate a few years ago, we were laughed at. And now the caliphate is here. It is smaller than they want, but they plan on going bigger. And I say that we listen to them. I'm sorry to leave on such a, a down note, but that is the world today. Back with more of the Brian Lilly podcast tomorrow including full coverage of the budget. Do make sure that you subscribe to this on SoundCloud. We'll have it up on iTunes soon. And make sure you check out the Facebook page, social media, and so on. I'm Brian Lilly. Thanks for listening. And remember, I'm on your side.